everybody. Welcome to Insufferable Bastards. This is episode 240. We own this city as the wire turns 20. So like I said, or maybe I didn't say, I'm Carlos Danger for the purposes of this broadcast. And I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Brian Spears. Hello, Brian. Hello, hello. For any new listeners out there, this is a podcast about movies, television, podcasts we talk about sometimes, radio, and of course, what's next for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, our favorite thing in the world to talk about. Which brings us, I guess I should talk really briefly about, there. we had a beef. We had our first legitimate podcast beef with, of course, The Pint a movie. I don't remember the last name. I don't, they, they just changed their name. It used to be Pint of Comics. That still exists as a radio show. Like a pop culture a pop podcast. Culture podcast. Yeah, The Pint. So I had said, I put on Twitter, hey, we're going to record an episode about uh, We Own the City as my, I'm on my son's laptop or son's computer and he's getting invited to Xbox parties. And then uh, Johnny Amenta from Pina Comics was like, oh, I, I hope you tell us how much better it is uh, than superhero movies. And so I was like, oh, you know what, dude? And so then it began a Don Rickle insult war that went on in that thread and another thread. So at the end of the day, you know, I, I apologized uh, for, for but we are going to tell them why we own the city is way better than a well, Marvel. Now I have nothing. Now I can't get that <laughs> yeah. out of my head. Like, yeah, this is not. This is this. Anyway, maybe we'll get to that later. But I did. You know, we're okay. Well, that was my whole premise before this even started. These, you know, these Marvel morons need to be watching this. This is going to change the world. This I know. Yeah, wait, or just right. Hey, look, here's my. Th- I'm able to talk about it right off the bat. Like the the, the problem I have with some of the comic book fans. And the whole the pop I and mean, they have the majority. They rule everything. Okay. Also, I want to say this. Wait, you're interrupting interrupt? me, damn it. Yeah, but it's not. It's the overall fan. We're not picking on one individual person. I'm saying all of them. There is a movement. There's a giant mass. You know this this voluminous bulbous mass, like the Blob with Kevin Dillon, of all these oh. pop culture fans who love. Well, I think Ethan Hawke is that his name called it garbage content or yeah. lowbrow art. Lowbrow art is in. That's a big thing. Great. We like we this. I love lowbrow uh, human centipede. I thought that was it was great. It was great. Right. I, I, I think there's a place for that. But my problem and I'm and I'm just going to say comic book fans. Now, I'm, I'm not, including Star Wars right now. Well, today. I'm just I'm just saying that as a blanket statement, because I don't want to sit here and go through everybody. That's a blanket statement. Blanket statement, I'm calling them comic book fans. My problem with too many of them is that they'll watch whatever's presented new, whatever new content comes out, but they don't balance it by watching something like We Own This City. You got to do both. You got to support independent film. You got to support indie movies like Arkansas, which is a controversial take. I get I get that Doctor Strange came out. Top Gun, I love Top Gun. Top Gun, all right, great. Top Gun, that's wonderful. There's a place for all that stuff, but don't sit there and pass yourself off as the arbiter of taste when you're not even sampling simple episodic television, golden age television. That's my, that's my problem. You got you to gotta watch both and then form an opinion. And don't get offended if somebody says your taste sucks for only liking Chopping Mall, okay? Chopping Mall, all right, Chopping Mall, I get it. Joe Bob Briggs is back. I get it. I get it. 
Sorry, I'm rambling. So now I'm like that. And that's not directed up again. Again, that is not. We have friends, people we respect and love. You said it much nicer than I would. And admire who who are you who don't like the wire. Like, I don't understand how anybody could not like the wire. But I do have, you know, I know people who don't like the wire. And that's fine. I'm not insulting anybody. Did they watch it? Did they watch it or they're just not going to watch it? Well, maybe they get, I don't know exactly. They might've given know. it a you shot because I, right, I get, you get that. You watch one or two episodes and there's no laser beams. Thanos doesn't show up and do a snap. There's not a bunch of a, a million cameos. And I, I don't know, but we're going off topic. I'm going to have to edit all this out because uh, did I say I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Brian Spears? Oh yeah. <laughs> and we're going to talk. We own the city. Also, I'm, I'm sick. I'm still, I got this cold that started in my head and now it's like, now I have asthma. But yeah, we're talking about We Own This City. That is an HBO limited series. Absolutely no one is watching compared oh, to other holy shows. Holy cow, no one is watching this. I can't even, like, I was trying to, like, you know, they do the Nielsen ratings, and it's, they, it, I think it's by millions. It, it's under a million. I couldn't even, it was like point something. I couldn't even do the math to see how low the Nielsen ratings are for this show. It wrapped up its six-episode run about a week ago. And so the show chronicles, if you don't know, and I guess a lot of people don't, the sort of otherworldly corruption of the gun trace task force. That was a so-called elite squad of the Baltimore police department. That was as dirty as the day is long. The show was co-created by Mr. David Simon and George Pelicanos, right? David Simon. I hope everybody knows he's the former Baltimore son night cops reporter was there for 15 years, created the wire homicide whole bunch of other shows. Treme. Right. And uh, George, by the way, was a writer and producer on The Wire. We Own This City is also based on a novel by a former Baltimore Sun reporter named Justin Fenton. He's now a reporter with the Baltimore Banner, which is a nonprofit online newspaper. Huh? That's kind of a trend. So we should probably point out right at the top of this broadcast, We Own This City is a stupendous show. It's a great show. Right, Brian? I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, man, I think it's riveting. Riveting best. I mean, David Simon, to me, is a genius. Like, this guy is, really is an American hero. First, I just wanted to run down the cast of characters real quick. And I think it's important to recognize all the creative minds that made We Own This City. And Simon himself said, like, basically, The Wire was all created by, uh, you know, white dudes. All the writers were were white dudes and he brought in D. people Watkins. D. he Watkins. brought in he brought in different uh, writers to to and we'll talk about this uh, more later to get a different perspective on what it's like to be policed yes essentially by corrupt cops not not just what it is to be a police officer so um i'm going to go through the cast here we don't usually do this but i want to just name these people publicly and not cough out a lung and brian maybe as we go through you can highlight who you think deserves like an insufferable bastard Emmy, maybe standout performances. So you have like a group of corrupt cops headed by the fictional character. Oh, I'm sorry. He's not a fictional character. Yeah, John Bernthal plays Wayne Jenkins. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Josh Charles is Daniel Hersel. Yeah. Right. That's he's one a scary right? I mean, dude. Yeah. I mean, well, just because I guess most of this, uh, uh, retro world that we live in would know him as like, I think the sweet boyfriend from like uh, my mom died or uh, my grandmother's the babysitter, that crystal Christina Applegate movie. 
Hey, mom, he, the babysitter's dead or something? That's I had no it, yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's in that. Don't so. tell mom. Don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. That's what it's called. But uh, yeah, Josh Charles is a revelation. Uh, and and the, like John Bernthal at this point, you almost expect yeah. him. He's, he's one of our great. He's, he's thoroughly taking the mantle or taking the baton from De Niro and, and yeah, Al Pacino. John Bernthal is a he's amazing in this. he's amazing amazing and i you know hey i even had a little time i worked on the punisher so i got to know him so it was really cool to see him all those times when he's really like having a good time you know when he's drinking and woo woo like i've you know that's john like, like that like, he's yeah. okay well like he's he's a very good guy and very uh hard worker but on this like he was truly a scary guy yeah and so we have him and then we have uh mckinley belcher the third and he's Mamadou G Money Gondo. Yeah. Uh, again, these are real characters. And then Daryl Britt Gibson, who I thought was oh, really good. He was as awesome. Jamel Rayum. Yeah, he's guy's got kind of like a crooked, like little, he's like very interesting. Very he he brought a lot to that. So there, there's other members of the of that squad, but I don't want to spend 80 minutes going through that. And then you have like the worker cop, right? Essentially, who's sort of the the conscience of, of the show. Uh, to some extent, and that's Jamie Hector. He plays, he plays real Sean, life Sean Sean, Sean Suter. Suter. Yeah. yeah, and of course he's Marlo from The Wire, indelible character. And he was in this TV show called Bosch that he was really good in too. Um, yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, that was a, uh, for me that was a revelation because I really haven't seen him since Marlo from The Wire. And we'll talk. I guess we'll talk about that character as we go forward. Uh, then you have like the Federal Task Force investigators. These are the people they kind of serve as the surrogate for the audience. Because they're the ones. Yeah, they're yeah. Or they're the healing. Yeah. And the exhibition. Uh, what's that word? Uh, uh, you know, all exhibition? the no, exposition, no, ex- expositional dialogue. They bring the story together. And that's uh, I, I'm going to butcher this woman's name. Dagmara. Dominchek. Dagmara. I, I buy Dagmara. It. Dagmara. Dominchek. Dominchek. Sorry. Is Erica Jensen. She's FBI special agent. Don Harvey, another character actor. Character actor have... you've seen everywhere. He's in everywhere. everything. He's John Soraki. And he doesn't have a heck of a lot to do, but just the guy's hang, hang dog face in it. Cause he's he's a cop. So you he it just just through his looks and the way the camera frames him, he's like, uh and every a, one of his like when I had he a does feeling say, this was happening. When anytime he says something, though, it is like because he's always the cop's perspective. Like the cop will be like, oh, you know, and, you know, he'll be like, you no, know, you don't you understand. Know, yeah. Brother yeah. in blue. And he just gives like this incredulous, like you piece of garbage look without saying any of it. Great performance. I mean, if yes. you can convey all that meaning just through a hangdog look, that is clearly a sign of a good movie. And then last but certainly not least, there is a character who is from the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. She's the one in there working to come up on this consent degree. And her name is Wunmi Musako or Wunmi Musako. She plays Nicole Steele. And I'll just point out that that is a fictional character that is sort of an, um, whatever that word is. Composition. She's a bunch of different real life characters rolled into, into one. And she is amazing as well. She's a standout for me. Like she really brought a lot. I thought like that role in this storyline, you know, uh, like she was a very compelling character. I really, I actually really, really liked her a lot. So, and then uh, just real quick, you have to, if we're talking about the city, we have to go through and name some of the wire actors from the wire, which I, I mean, I, I guess if anybody's listened to this show, the wire is the best show in the history of television. You probably know that. So we're big 
fanboys for uh, David Simon's The Wire and all. And Brian's had an opportunity every time because Brian's a special effects makeup artist. And every so often you get to encounter somebody yeah. from that great Don't, ensemble oh. cast of perfection. The only time I ever get starstruck. I literally had De Niro and uh, Scorsese walk by me. Pfft, who cares, man? But I got to like work with, <laughs> you know, like freaking cheese, man. Jermaine Crawford is the B-cop in We Own This City who helps uh, the homicide detective Sean Souter with a case early on in the show run. Crawford played Dookie, the heartbreaking, probably the most heartbreaking character on The Wire. He was the young kid who was like dirty, came from, you know, everyone yeah. in his family was yeah. addicted to drugs. And you, you, you root for that entire show for Dookie to go to on the right path. You want good things for him. But he, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen, well, you know what? If you haven't seen The Wire, if you haven't seen you. The Wire, you're a that's moron. Your, yeah, that's your problem. Go, go see whoever, whatever you have to do to improve yourself, that's on you. He goes on to become the new Bubbles, the yeah. new heroin addict, which is just crushes you. Trey Shaney appears briefly in We Own This City. As a, and I might have his character wrong. He's either a Baltimore County or a state cop in an early episode because yeah. uh, this is first discovered. I mean, we can't get the, the plot on this is like yeah. onion after layer after onion layer. Uh, but anyway, he was Poot, one of the young drug oh, dealers yeah. who worked with Bodie and Wallace in the very beginning of The Wire. And then I don't know if this is true at all, but he's one of like the, the only drug dealers from the beginning of the show who survived. Who survived. Yes, he's the and, only. Yeah. And gets out, although in Winnie Own the City, he probably ended up you know what I mean? Like his character yeah. arc would to be uh, ruined by one of these corrupt cops. Poot, according to Wikipedia, this could be wrong, was shot at <laughs> more than any other criminal other than Omar. Oh, really? On the wire, oh. according to according to Wikipedia. Uh, this is another great one. Delaney Williams. He's uh, the Baltimore police. Uh, he's the commissioner who sort of brought in on an interim basis to fail. Yeah. And, and also he was the big comic relief in The Wire. If you haven't seen The Wire, you morons. He was he yeah. is one of the funniest guys from The Wire. He's based on a it's sort of a semi. I mean, his character name in The Wire is a real person, mm -hmm. but the character was was half fake, half real. Uh, and he played the supervising Lansdale, Jay Lansdale. I want Jay to say Lansdale, yeah. He was a supervising officer in The Wire of the Homicide Bureau and definitely had some of the show's best monologues. None of which I can play here because it yeah. would take forever. We're, we're trying to go curse free since I'm putting this on valleyindy.org right now, part of the Valley Indie Podcast Network. <laughs> Excuse me. Then uh, this is certainly last but not least the great Dominic Lombardzi, Lombardazzi, Lombardazzi, Lombardazzi. Yeah. I don't know how to say that. I apologize. He was Herc. Yeah. From The Wire. And he plays in, I think, one, maybe two episodes. He's the PBA union head. Yeah. And we own this city. So this is not a complete list. I think there are like five others. Yes, I think so. I think they all pop. There's a couple people that pop in and out. But yeah, but that's what we got. So, all right. So that's all, you know, and I'll, I'll name all the writers of this show at the <sighs> end, because I think they are also I think the strength of this show is the writing. Yes, that's the, the foundation of this. And that's purposeful because David Simon's a writer. George Pelancanos is a writer, is a writer. Also, so, they, he's like they a, bring in. He's a yeah, novelist, novelist. Yeah. Crime novelist, particularly, uh, you know, the book is based on it. These are all writers. Anyway, Brian, that was and we, we're working from an outline. So that's why this is taking 100 years other than our random rants. But what were your impressions in general? Now that you watched all six episodes of the they're calling this sort of the spiritual sequel to the or, wire. What do you think of we own this an epilogue to the wire? Um, I mean, I yeah. think this is an amazing show. I uh, think it's smart. I think uh, 
it makes you think it's uh it opens your eyes it really uh showcases a whole set of talents that i just didn't know was out there or gives um you know just elevates a lot of people in this um it's also just a crushing story and it's it, similar to the why like in real life there's no happy ending all the time and that and i think that's like this Oh my there God, is no yes. humanity to this show. And I do like, as a guy that recommended Donnie Brooke to the audience, I do like really depressing shows. What it does is it makes me go look everything up and be like, all right, was yes. this real? And then when you look this up and there's video clips of this task force, yes. like on YouTube where you see them and it's the real people and like you see footage and they're doing arrests. Um, it's, it's fascinating that this, like, when you watch this, you realize what's wrong with this country. This this story is fascinating how all this happened in literally 2000, you know, in the you know, right now. A couple like of years this, ago. Yeah, just right. this, this happened. Yeah, and like it is an important TV show. You know, and I think that'll turn a lot of people off because people a, a significant amount of people, people who watch television and consume movies they don't want important television. They don't want a story like yeah, this. Yeah, they don't like because it's a little unforgiving. Yeah, it's bleak. It's bleak. It's confusing. The timeline, I think like a fatal flaw for a lot of people will be the timeline where yeah. it, this story jumps around so much and you have to you know it, it, the, the way they transition from a different point of time is they show like a case file report on a computer screen. So it'll be like Wayne Jenkins 61702 and a bad beard. Almost, it's impossible to follow. Yeah. That being said, so I'm just putting that out to people. Like, you can't just sit down. You have to give it two, two and a half episodes. Uh, and then, you know, it'll it'll start to work on you, I think. Don't, just don't think, you. it's not like the latest episode of The Boys just premiered. And it just pulls you in and yep. you're on that roller coaster ride. This is like going up the roller coaster for like an ungodly yeah, you're, you're, you're hitting time. those notches each time you go up. The, yeah. The it's kind of like, yeah. So it, it's a, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like taking cough medicine. You know, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's, it, it, it takes it a while. Feel to like. in. And I'm just saying that I just want to throw, but it's also giving you a ton of information. So you do have to pay attention to that stuff and it all, yeah, it well, all pays I, off. And that like I, I had written, wrote this down. Like this is a script that somehow this is very early. This is like the first episode. It manages to work in the concept concept of a consent degree, quote unquote. That's a court. That is a negotiated agreement between a municipality and usually a division of the federal government where they, all right, we're going to do this, this, and this. And if we don't do it, we go back to a judge. Like it's as boring. I mean, a consent <laughs> decree. They work that in, like they introduce that concept into a television show in the age of Marvel yeah. and when people just want to watch Peacemaker and John Cena be cute. And this I guess show that, is a, yeah. it's about, and that's like a huge driving force is the, the formation, the draft. You're watching a consent degree be formed. That's the narrative structure, which just blows my mind. And my initial thought, well, after I finished this show, it kind of, cause I, I was sort of, I was a little lost. I didn't know how to feel about it, you know? And I thought like, okay, so David Simon, cause I follow him on Twitter and he's sort of a madman on Twitter. He's yeah. like the angriest dude alive. Yeah. I, I, that's I, why I love him. His yeah. interviews are even when he's being he, like praised that, Hey, 20 well, years for the wire. He's like, this country's doomed. Well, yeah. And he, he'll, he'll, he'll get a little, I mean, all right. So I am 
a reporter, right? I, I, I worked in newspapers from 1998 to 2009. And since 2009, I've been essentially a one-man show for a online local newspaper that is a nonprofit. So in my years, like in newsrooms, traditional newsrooms, that is a very specific type of reporter where they're arrogant, prickly, a-holes. <laughs> yeah. like, and then you kind of, there's been a few where like, you, that's, that's all they give to you. You know, I worked at like the Hartford Current briefly. That's like the big, I haven't worked at big publications, but I was like sort of an accessory to the newsroom. I worked on the web staff at the Hartford Current, which at one point was Connecticut's like, that was premier, the premier news. It was, it, it, yes. it was the sister Huge. publication of the Baltimore Sun. It's been gutted. There's barely anything left of it. It's still a good paper. But anyway, there were guys in that newsroom with that very smart, you couldn't deny they were geniuses. They knew how to do their job, but they were just prickly jerks. And that's like, that is David Simon. So I thought maybe this was him, sort of the angry David Simon going back and amending the positive portrayal he gave to some extent of law enforcement in the wire. Because given what happens, what's happened in the country with George Floyd. Yes. After the wire came out, there is, I, and, and, you know, he is, I thought he was going back and doing that, but I, I don't think that's correct. Uh, you know, in the wire, it was like most of the officers were just trying to do their jobs and they couldn't because of the system. This show is a true docudrama. It just seems to me to take like the court record and you just mentioned it, the wiretaps the video footage of these guys in action. It, there was an extensive case built against them over the series, over yeah. a series of years. And it just, we always complain that we hate this trend of taking documentaries and making them into film or television shows, but it works here. Yeah. And that's essentially what it is. There are some of the wiretop conversations here that are, are directly line for line from the actual lines that were delivered among these criminal cops there's the guy, the commissioner gives a press conference where he said it's word for word, it's word for yeah. what is said uh, in this show. So like it's different from The Wire in that you're not really getting to know the characters in any real way. And this is some this has been levied as a criticism against We Own This City. Like over The Wire had five seasons. Right. So you really got to know each character. And you also saw like, like their family life or their exactly. Like, it like, went into all that. You really got to know yeah. them like you did in Treme, which is you mentioned early. That's yeah. probably David Simons. I think that's his other masterpiece. It's The Wire and Treme. People don't really talk about Treme anymore, but seek that out if you have not seen it. So at the conclusion of The Wire and Treme, you felt like you had just put down a great novel, like the best yes. novel. You It felt like Good that. Way to you, describe you didn't want to yes. give up the story, but it was like you were satisfied, extremely satisfied. And those shows particularly The Wire, had that exact feeling for a lot of people. But at the conclusion of We Own This City, I kind of felt hopeless, like you said, yeah. bleak, a little bit depressed, because it's just about these corrupt cops being yep. corrupt. Yep, They're just like these rotten apples. I mean, I'm, I don't even want to say rotten well, apples, because the point of the show is it's rot, institutional rot. And these guys, when you have a system like that, who do you attract into yeah. the department? Guys with no moral compass, guys who should have never, like who Wayne never Jenkins have been, yeah, should have never have. They should have never accepted him as a police officer. Obviously, there should have been some type of screening that these guys were never allowed to pick up a badge and to collect uh, paychecks from the public. They're supposed to be assisting. You know, that's who pays for them. I watched uh, David Simon talk, do an interview about this show, and he basically said, in his day, 
hey, there might have been a cop that took a few bucks off and did this and did that, but they never, it never, like this generation that he, the police that he's showcasing learned it like devalued, like then it became, oh, take more money. You know, it was like, well, it's, would, it's not even like, it's not even like corruption. It, it feels wrong to call these corrupt cops because no, they're say, criminals when yeah, because when you say they're corrupt and that's what we've saw in traditionally in these movies yeah. about corrupt cops, there's always a moral choice. They're well, he brings up Prince point. in the city. He brings up Prince in the city. I'm going to get to that. Like oh, I have right. the whole clip. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. It, like the job of the police officer at this point in Baltimore, at this era of Baltimore policing was to rob money. Yeah. Like that was part of the job. You know, you're you're supposed to rob money and drugs. That's sort of the point the show, not the point the show is making, but that's what it shows. And they're an occupying force, which we've heard about. We've heard that term used more and more. This sort of spells that out. If you've been confused over the events going on in the country over the last few years, this offers a perspective as to why people are, are rioting or protesting or doing yes. whatever that's making you uncomfortable and angry. This sort of explains to a certain degree, why that might be might be happening. At the same time, it's not anti-police. This isn't a no. defund the police thing there. And they and they and, and, and bring that brings us to Sean Souter. Yeah. Uh, he's portrayed in a generally positive light, but the show, you know, they say power corrupts, but it's like corruption breeds more corruption. Yes. Like even a guy like that who's a genuinely good police officer, at least as portrayed in this show. And I, I think the show is factual. I don't think it's embellishing, you know, his, his police work. It's on the record. No, stuff no, that they, he yeah. Did. It's all, everything was on the record. And I think even his fate, it was the way There's still a big debate. There's still a monstrous debate over how he died. Yes. How he dies. But what they did spoiler the, the way they film it is they only film it in the way it's reported. Mm-hmm. So there is no, it's still, and you leave a little room. It's like, yeah, it's it clear. leaves he, room. They they offer an idea, but 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 Simon has said like repeatedly he committed he's he, he yes. committed suicide. I mean, and it's the end card. Yeah, it's like yes. he set it up so he would look like he was an on the duty death. But the investigation. But there's still there's still a tremendous amount of people who who think he was assassinated by his fellow officers. Sure, that's still and, very and, much. And, and that's and and David Simon has pointed out. Well, that's because we live in a post truth world where yes. anything goes, and it's just you know those flames are fanned by by social media but uh, and my point was being that even that guy you couldn't even be if you were on that gun trace task force like i mean you were probably i think if you or i were on that we probably would have taken money too because that was well, again there was two people who have the least corruption. amount of sentences that they're they claim that they never took any of the drug money but they were also falsifying uh overtime you know, these guys are going on vacation and still getting paychecks. So, yeah. And the thing about Sean Suter is like he wasn't a target of an investigation, but it was clear that he was going to lose his job because a bunch of cops said like, yeah, I was there and I saw him take money whenever, eight, 10 years ago. So his career was over no matter what. Uh, I did find it to be, we own the city to be appointment viewing in my household. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, you know, there's that rubbernecking thing where you're, you, you slow down to watch a car wreck. This show felt like you were just watching a car wreck, like layer after layer. It's a slow motion car wreck, uh, but but compelling because as I described, I, I, I wanted to think like, well, how, why was I watching this show where you don't get, there's no redemption arc, no. there's no traditional narrative ploys that make you feel this is going to go end somewhere else. 
it's all bleak, but I, and I, it's a hard time with that. Like you have to realize that you're going to be sitting there and just watching cops, cops be corrupt. Why are they corrupt? You don't really know. They're just criminals. These are guys of low moral character and they're doing what they do. They're just a gang, a state operate, a state funded criminal organization. I think what's interesting though, is it does, it's probably the first to me and I could be wrong, but it's like the first thing of pop culture that doesn't give us the, well, the, you know, like I said, the cop had a moral choice to make, or, you know, like even in Prince of yeah. the City, Treat Williams, which is a great movie, you know, there is, you can you feel sympathy and, and empathy to a certain extent. It's always told, and it's always told from the point of view of the police. Yes. Right. This more gives you a sense of what corrupt cops does to a community, what it does to individuals. And it just puts you there. You are an, you are an observer to that. And that, that, that is something that I think is new. The whole point of the show. And I had trouble sort of like, I struggled with like, well, what was the point of this? I like it. I'm watching it every week, but I'm not getting, there's no level of satisfaction with it. You know, yeah. it doesn't, no, no, know, yeah, it's not it's, entertaining necessarily at all. I think it's eye opening and maybe that's what it, that it, made it, there's me. Some, there's something, <laughs> excuse me, there's something about it, but I want to play. This is Treat Williams. Actually, this is not Treat Williams because I couldn't find the, the I, I don't have my HBO Max password. But Treat Williams shows up and he sort of twice in there delivers a monologue about how policing has changed. Yes. And the, the message, the overall message of the show, as it was with The Wire, and uh, Simon's been criticized for being a little repetitive, is the drug war. The drug war is wrong. It's done bad things. We need to end the drug war. Even calling it a drug war was bad. Tree Williams talks about this a little bit. Nothing finer. But people had to talk to you. And once upon a time, they did. Well, of course, not all of them. There was a street code for snitching. But there were always enough people on the post that would talk to you. That trust is broken. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't get permission out of somebody while you're beating on them or you got your hand in their pocket. And then lying about it in court. Yeah. You know, everything changed when I came up with that expression, the war on drugs. What an idiotic thing to say. What the hell is a war on drugs? What does that mean? Waging a war against citizens. By definition, it's separating us into two opposing camps. The colonizer and the colonized. Ah, Albert Memmi, very good, yes. And with so, yeah, that's Treat Williams yeah. sort of giving the, the thesis of the show. And for anybody out there, let's see if I can stop sharing this for a second. But anybody out there who, you know, I know that that, that could be a trigger to a lot of people, depending on your political perspective, that statement right there. Because uh, there's still a great amount of country, or a good a chunk of the country, that you say the war on drugs is bad. Well, you're just a commie pinko. Yeah. Uh, you know. But here is a clip from a documentary that I'm sort of obsessed with. It's called The Police Tapes. Uh, there would cops never would have aired on Fox if it wasn't for the police tapes. This was a groundbreaking reality documentary uh, that was done by a bunch of. Social workers or psychologists or sociologists back in, uh, they tracked the NYPD in 1977. I just want to give you the perspective of like a New York City police supervisor back in the day. This was the, this was how cops thought, you know, in the biggest police department in the country, possibly on the earth at the time. 
you look at the average policeman, and uh, he comes from the lower middle class or upper lower class, and uh, suddenly. So this was Chief Tony Buza, B O U Z A. He was the Bronx Borough Commander, 1977 NYPD. He's going to become a policeman. He he wants security. He wants a nice paying job. He wants to work out of doors. He wants to help people. He is going to don this uniform. And he is going to go out into the streets of our city, and he is going to help people. We have a subculture in our society, and it resides in the ghetto, and we are conditioning this subculture, and their reaction is very predictable. B.F. Skinner would have no difficulty identifying what is happening there. We are conditioning people to fail. We are conditioning people to become alcoholics. We are conditioning them to be violent, and we give them no other mechanisms with which to, uh, to cope. So I, there is nothing inevitable about it. It is a process that is taking place because of forces that are conditioning this response. Just that so that is, nowadays, that second part there, I'm going to edit out, I played the wrong clip, but that second clip I played, that is today, I mean, that's a police officer there, a commander, talking in terms of social work. Social work, and yeah. sociology. You know, that was the policing attitude. Now, there are things that he says there listening to, that was 1977, it's, your, it's now 2022. There's, there's problematic phrasing in, in what he's Sure. Saying. But Simon, in that interview that you had mentioned when he talks to the Washington Post, it was a live stream, which, by the way, the YouTube version of that, of that interview has less than 400 views. I know. It's just That's the Washington Post, less than 400 views a talk about this, where... Uh, you know, David Simon talks about he became a reporter in like 85 and, and the attitudes of police back then and how it changed. So you go from that guy talking about sociology and how that was hand in hand. I mean, cops always if you wanted to be a cop back then, you'd major if you went to college and most didn't. You'd major in sociology. Socia. OK. You know, it wasn't it wasn't really criminal justice. And so now Simon's point is like the drug war comes, the police become more militarized. It's all about it's stats. About, it's about making arrests. It's about rounding up people and throwing them in jail as opposed to sort of doing uh, some type of work within the community and solving crime and protecting people. Right. Preventing robberies and property crime and, and crimes against people and all that good stuff. So in this live stream interview with The Post. David Simon talks uh, a little bit about uh, Treat Williams and Prince of the City yeah. specifically. 60s when you would kick over a numbers joint, you know, I mean. And this one is, this is a systematic, yeah. systematic growth of a system that's out of control where it becomes their primary focus on the job, right? Right, that's right. Yeah. You know, if you go back to Prince of the City, uh, the great Lumet film, um, there came a moment where the U.S. attorney is challenging this corrupt cop and saying, what did you do? You know, did you did you take the money? Did you take some of the money? And, yeah, they would take some of the money. They would even give some of it back to the arrestees. If you if you seize ten thousand dollars, you'd give two thousand back to the arrestees to buy their silence. And you two thousand and you'd turn in six. That was the, that was the New York way of 1972, 1970. So it goes back that far. But then he says to them, he says, what did you do with the drugs? Did you take the drugs? And the, the corrupt cop gets up on his hind legs and he says, how dare you? You know, no, we didn't take the drugs. I'm a cop. You know, there, there's an ethos to this. The drugs went to evidence control. Not in Baltimore. Not in Baltimore. Not in 2015. We had finally reached the terminus of a drug war that has utterly devoured 
uh, our, our law enforcement deterrent. So that was that. Yeah. And the other thing I'll, I'll tie in in that same interview, and that was with uh, the Washington Post posted on uh, May 26th. Simon talks about the drug war specifically, like how did that have an impact? And uh, here he is explaining that. Fascinating. And uh, can you tell me a little bit about how this came to be? Sure. Well, I thought I was done with Baltimore and crime. Uh, I certainly thought I live here and, and my city certainly took a bite of that apple and I didn't really want to make it take another on my account. Um, but, but the wire, which we worked on, began working on 20 years ago, was uh, if it had one policy argument to make, and it was very blunt about it, I thought it was, and the drug war, uh, the drug war has not only destroyed communities and families and individuals, filled prisons, built prisons and filled them. Um, it's destroyed law enforcement. It's made uh, that which is the most essential police work, um, less rewarded, less heralded than going up on the bunch of corners and making your stats and grabbing a bunch of guys and getting paid for doing that which doesn't actually make us safer. And while it's while it's been uh, waged, while we've done this, we've trained generations of cops how not to solve murders, solve robberies, solve rapes, um, how not to patrol their posts, you know, to prevent crimes against people. We've taught them how to make arrests. And so the clearance rates in places like Baltimore and Chicago and elsewhere have nosedived. The national clearance rate for murder when I was in the homicide unit in the late 80s was 70%. It's now 35%. This is a show that deals with a subject matter that's tough, that's bleak, but that's important. And it's something going on in our society right now. Yeah. And it deals with it thoughtfully. You know, maybe you're arch conservative and this makes you angry, but the sh you could still watch the show and get something yeah. out of it. It, it. It's a different perspective. And the series directed by it's Ronaldo Marcus Green. The writing credits are Justin Fenton. He was the based on his book. Uh, George Pelicanos, David Simon, Ed Burns, William F. Zori, and D. Watkins D. are the Watkins. writers. D. Watkins for, actually was assaulted by uh, one of these. Get Herschel. Herschel. Yeah. Yep, at a basketball game. That oh, like so that is ribs, why David yeah. Simon. I guess he's a he was another writer, and David Simon came across him. In like the Baltimore City paper, which I yes. believe might be the alternative paper. I don't know if it still exists. Yeah, and that's what's sort of remarkable about David Simon. He still lives in Baltimore. And this is another thing about how like weird, arrogant yeah, reporters. They, I love them, like the old guys. Like and he's part of a generation that's pretty much gone. But he didn't move to Hollywood. That's he didn't move the to other Manhattan. thing. He he's criticizing that city, and he still lives he's there. Like, I live he here. I can it. say it. I can say it. Yeah. And, and he's he, a diehard liberal. Like he is, but like one of those, like he'll fight, you know, but he's one oh, he's of those insane. guys that's, he, on Twitter. He's like, I don't know how he doesn't. He's, I hope he's got heart medication. But yeah, he'll just, he's reading his local paper. Like, I mean, that's probably a weekly. You know what I mean? Like, and then he's like, oh, I like this guy's writing. He calls him up, and then the guy's now. Well, I believe for the, show. the guy whose book it's based on, he recommend, he gave that guy, saw his writing in the newspaper. He told him, yeah, this would him, be a good book, dude. This would be a good book. Here's my agent's number. And he used to, yeah, he used to cover, they had and covered the same And that was years ago. Right, yeah. So David Simon is, is definitely interesting. Uh, and then just like some randomly, uh, there is, I thought like screen, <laughs> we talked the last couple of weeks about film criticism and criticism yeah. of, of, of television as well. Uh, I mean, what's also weird is like some of the people that follow us on Twitter, they still differentiate between movies and episodic television. We don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't even in like my terminology, I'll call a movie. To, to me, it's the same. I guess people should know that going in. So there's this whole different standard 
I don't know. It's it, to me, it's weird. It's 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 foreign to me. Like so, TV uh, to me is everybody loves Raymond, and I don't watch Everyone Loves Raymond. Yeah, you know? yeah. HBO shows and all the stuff on. Yeah. I, anyway, my point being, we've been talking about um, a lot of people hate critics, right? Like even our former uh, co-host never liked critics, and we've been sort of the last few episodes. There there is something to be said for some critics and some form of criticism. Here's bad criticism. This is from Screen Rant, and it's their take on We Own the City. And basically, the headline is, We Own the City, Episode 1, perfectly flips the Wire's Omar's coming scene. Obviously, if anybody knows, the, yeah. the Wire has this iconic scene where Omar, the sort of Robin Hood, he robs drug dealers for, I mean, for personal profit. He's not bettering his community. But when he shows up, he's such a badass that all the guys like Omar's coming. Yo, Omar's coming. And so there's a scene in We Own the City where John Bernthal as Wayne Jenkins walks down the street and the people sort of react to him. But I mean, to compare, no, like that's not, that's not the same message. Yes, it's two guys walking down the street, but it's not at all. There's nothing, do not compare those two characters no. or, or those two scenes. That is such a surface ridiculous uh, piece to write about. I just found that, oh, here's an example of just bad criticism. Just why even write that? I guess you had to have your quota that day and you had an idea. You didn't, you didn't think it out at all. And you, and you just published that. Uh, New York Times, I think overall, We Own the City is getting mixed reviews, I would say. And I think the, a big problem is the fact that it's a predecessor. Is that the right word? Predecessor. It's, it's, the, it's a sequel in sorts. Yeah. of the greatest show of all time. It, it, it's yeah. suffering from the same thing. Casino, you know, Casino came out and people were like, it's too much like Goodfellas. You know, when it came out six years yeah. after Goodfellas. Uh, and I think We Own the City is is suffering that same fate to a little bit. So this critic from the New York Times, his name is, uh, I'm not even going to try to say it. This is what, this is what James Ponowozik. Ponowozik. He says that... Uh, you know, he, he, he says it's all, it's got great uh, performances and he points out that it's different from The Wire, just like we said, where The Wire, this is him writing, had built into it the distinction between good police and bad uh, for every inept Ronald Presbaluski. There was Lester Freeman yeah. who was doing uh, heroic police work and We Own the City seems to question not whether good policing exists, but whether it's even possible all yeah that it definitely but does think, talk about that hmm. but what he says is uh he basically criticizes and i'm trying to find the part where there's no uh it, it, it's you know it, it, it's an indictment of the drug war and the writer surmises that that's a strong editorial saying like yeah the drug war is a complete failure and, and here's an example of why because you just have all this money going around and cops who are now motivated to do to steal and and, and, and all that but it doesn't make for a great show. We Own the City is still a very good show with granular realism, a sly sense of humor, and fine acting top to bottom. But its indictments lack the character shading that animated Simon's adaptations of the housing policy story Show Me Hero and his own book The Corner. Maybe this is intentional to return to our unfair comparison. The Wire believed that systemic forces mattered more than individual failure or triumph. Uh, so the why we own the city instead seems as kind of appendix, an updated extra 
for Simon and Pelicano's existing well-earned fan base. Uh, I guess that's true to a point. But I mean, uh, it's true. But like I mean, he I... does say like, oh, there's not there's no character development. But but then again, like like I said earlier, I think it's about time we didn't need to know. We didn't need excuses for what. Well, Wayne that's Jenkins the other thing. Doing. They were criminal. They were criminals. I don't know. And I think didn't, uh, didn't David Simon say in that interview for the Post something the Post, about the reporter from The Washington Post basically asked Simon, well, it seems to me you you also try to portray Jenkins as a sympathetic character. You know, after all, he is human. And he sort of and scoffs at it for him. I don't feel much empathy. But when you write him and you put him into this system, uh, you obviously make an effort to tell us about what might might have motivated him, that he's not all evil, that there's more to this. And I'm wondering, first of all, why do that? Is there part of you that wants to just say, this guy is a, a, a perfect example of the problem. He's teaching the younger guys how to do this. And uh, why do we need to uh, bring humanity to him? But you clearly I, want I, us to understand him differently. I certainly don't think he's sympathetic. I, I don't feel the sympathy on the page that maybe you do. Uh, I, he's, he's written in a human scale. Um, you know, he loves his wife and kids. Uh, you know, he wants he wants his kid to um, make the Pee Wee football team. He has the same sort of normative aspirations of the rest of us. You know, he doesn't he doesn't crawl into a coffin at night. You know, so the sunlight doesn't hit him. Aside from that, you know, he's an awful character. I just thought that was it. Yeah. He's an awful character, and again, like he's not. You know, no, you're wrong, I, dude. You're wrong. And, no. And here's the thing, like. And maybe this is why I like this. See, I don't want my villains to wear capes. You know what I mean? Like this guy's a real villain and he's a real character. He's a real person. It exists. Like I just, he, I, this whole task force was like, they were like scary dudes. I was, I was struck by how dumb Wayne Jenkins is uh, at the beginning where he's just, you know, he's the guy. I mean, they have him. He's drinking his Zima. Well, he's, he's drinking like, his wine coolers. Yeah, his wine coolers. And he's just jealous of everybody. He has, like, basically the mentality of 11-year-old. He's just... Well, he's he just like, looked like a cocky jerk. And he's a man-child. I think he's, yeah. he's a man-child, too, where he had everybody... He felt it almost... And maybe I'm reading into this because I don't know if any of this is 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 really on the page or was in the show. But I got the impression that this is guy has like talk about no self-esteem and just always feeling like a piece of garbage. And then he carries himself and, and be uh, having deep, deep character defects inclined to steal anyway. But he almost felt like everyone else had it better than him. So he had this right to rob people, uh, you know, but I, I was struck by just how goofy and dummy is well yeah <laughs> uh, and that's early on i'm talking about like the when you first when he's first no no when job. he when they first meets him and he's like you know he's like goofy yeah he's just like a dork and then he becomes this you know he, he's like the perfect clay to be molded into. yes and that's, and that's what right. i think it's he generational was, it's, it's generational like, he this is isn't, just this isn't like Denzel Washington and whatever that gangster movie was with Russell no. Crowe American Gangster this is like systemic New cop after old cop teaches, uh, you know, this cop, here's how you be corrupt. I guess the final thing is it is the 20th anniversary of The Wire. And I don't really have time to uh, we don't really have time to go into all this. But there was a great Q&A that came out. With I think it was Simon and uh, George Pelling, whatever his name is. Pelling Connells. That again was in The New York Times. Uh, 
Oh, it's David Simon and Ed Burns. Ed Burns, talking yeah, about okay, it, who was yeah. the ex-cop who, uh, and basically it's, it's really good. I, people should read it, but he says that, you know, the wire would never get funded today. Nope. There's no way that show would be made today. Uh, it would not uh, exist. But uh, anyway, that that's that. So it is still the, yeah, and there's would, a, would the wire be green lighted if you pitched it today? Burns, definitely not. HBO was going up the ladder at the time. They didn't understand the wire until the fourth season. They were talking about canceling it after three seasons. We caught that moment where networks were thinking, oh, we need a show for this group of people. But now it's got to be Game of Thrones. It's got to be big. It's got to be disconnected from stepping on anybody's toes. I've watched a couple of limited series on HBO and they're good shows, but they're not cutting new paths. They are whodunits or these rich women bickering among themselves in a town. I don't see anybody saying, hey, that's a really great show. Absolutely. <laughs> that guy could be an honorary insufferable bastard. Yeah. Maybe the third, the third chair, the third mic. Let's get Ed Burns on here. And it's not Ed Burns from those terrible 90s indie movies that that, that guy who's in Saving Private Ryan. This is the guy who co-created The Wire. But uh, but anyway, all right. So I'm going to have to edit the heck out of this because I made a bunch of huge mistakes there. Sorry about that. Yeah, I just want to recommend one quick movie. That's it. But we'll talk about it next time. One for the Road by uh, Gerard Carmichael. Or one, no, one out of three. I don't Is know. Is that a stand up thing? What are you talking no, about? No, no, it's a. Uh, well, um, the guy who wants movie. to kill himself? Yeah, yeah. I saw a preview for that man. Oh, Jesus. Talk about bleak. Oh, yeah, dude. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. All right. On the well, count of three. On the count of three. Check it out. On the count of three. I love that you have these movies to recommend, but you don't have the titles of them. Yeah, I'm sorry. Time. All right, so but that's that's what we do. So for uh, insufferable bastards, I am Carlos Danger for the purposes of this broadcast, and that is Mr. Brian Spears. Later, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> I think. <laughs> <laughs>